This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Alrighty, good morning church. Is that what you Sunday morning when you walked in? If not, I hope that's given you a bit of a wake up this morning, a bit of Lord of the Rings, can't hurt. Um, before we jump in, before I explain what that's all about, let me just introduce myself. My name's Mitch, and let me also just add my welcome to Hannah's as well. It's great to, to see you here. We're so glad that you're here. If this is, um, if this is your first time joining us uh, this morning, let me just say welcome. We're really glad that you decided to join us. I've really missed meeting with the church family over the last you know, couple of weeks in the Christmas break, so very glad to be back. Um, I'm one of the staff here. I'm also on, uh, part of our West Pimble gospel community as well. Um, yeah, all they are. There we go. That's good. Um, and so you might be wondering, you know, why are we watching a bit of Lord of the Rings uh, to start our service? And that's because we've started a new series this week, which will be just going for the next couple of weeks until we get into our Vision Sunday in a couple of weeks' time. Um, the series is called Anchor at the Movies. And if this is your first time with us this morning and you're wondering, are we church that just preaches from movies or are we church that preaches from the scriptures? Let me assure you that we are a Bible-loving community, that we, we love the scriptures, we think they are the authoritative and sufficient Word of God, uh, and we preach for them every single week here. Uh, but what we also think is that it's important for us to be able to look at our culture and look at the media that we consume and to be able to look at it in a, in a critical way and teach ourselves, you know, what is this media trying to teach us about how to live our lives? What is this media trying to teach us about, you know, truths about the world and about how we ought to live? Uh, and it's important for us to be able to look at that media uh, and to look at it critically and against the scriptures and against the good news of Jesus and see, you know, what it can teach us. What can we learn from these media? So for the next few weeks, each of the, the preachers is going to be picking a different movie and we're going to be going through each of these movies and the themes and the ideas that they represent and looking, you know, how does it match up with what we believe about Jesus from the scriptures. And so that brings us to the clip of Lord of the Rings that we just saw before. A couple of, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in the office with Matt, our lead pastor, and Matt, who knows that I love the fantasy genre, uh, tricked me and he was, he was sitting there and he said, Mitch, if you had to pick one fantasy movie that you'd watch for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I said, without even hesitation, Lord of the Rings. And he said, great, that's what you're preaching on in a couple of weeks. And I said, okay, you've got me. So I can't say no to that. Um, but it's true. I, I love these movies. I've watched these movies so many times, probably more than 50 times each, I reckon. Um, when I was a kid, I used to have several, several days where I would pretend to be sick and come home from school so I could just sit at home and watch Lord of the Rings and I'd spend the whole day just watching through all three of the movies. I love these movies. And I know there are some of us in this uh, room right now who love Lord of the Rings just as much as I do. I know for a fact we even have one couple in this room who had a Lord of the, Th- Lord of the Rings themed wedding. Um, there are people that love it just as much as I do, but I'm also very aware that not everyone has the same love for these movies as I do. And I'm also very aware that some people will just be looking at me with disdain as I talk about these movies the whole time. But if you're someone who, who doesn't know at all what I'm talking about, what they are is a, a group of three movies that were released in the early 2000s, and they were based off the books of J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote these books uh, in the 50s. Um, and if you haven't watched them, please do yourself the favour of watching them, and especially watching all the extended editions. Um, it'll only... It's, <laughs> I mean, it's only going to take 12 hours of your time, so some, I think it's a worthy thing to do. You know, I did it many, many days when I was at school. Um, but these movies, they center around this group of characters, which are called the Fellowship of the Ring, um, and they're on a journey to destroy this one ring, which was created by the Dark Lord, Sauron. That's the, that's the whole plot of these movies, and it particularly focuses on one character, one little hobbit, 
called Frodo, whose task it is to see the ring destroyed. Um, now, there's so much that we could talk about when it comes to Lord of the Rings. There's so many different themes and ideas that we could look into, but I've just chosen two main themes that I want us to examine today. So the first one that I want us to look at is Tolkien's depiction of evil in Lord of the Rings and his de- depiction, depiction of, of evil and suffering through the idea of Sauron and the ring. And the second one is the idea and the representations of Jesus in the different characters uh, of Lord of the Rings. And you, you might be thinking, that's a bit of a stretch. How could you be finding Jesus in Lord of the Rings? But I don't think it is a stretch. Tolkien himself, the author of these books, he was a, he was a Christian. He was a part of the, the Catholic Church. Um, and when he was asked one time, are these movies, he said, are the Lord of the Rings, well, the books at the time, are the books a Christian work? Uh, he said they are fundamentally a religious and Catholic work. Um, so he intended for them to be uh, filled with Christian themes. He intended for them uh, to be a Christian work. So as we go through these themes today, I want us to have that in the back of our mind. But before we just jump into them, I'm just going to spend a bit of time praying for us. So if you would pray with me, let's pray now. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you that we can meet again this week, Lord. Thank you that uh, you've promised that wherever two or three gather, Lord, you are, you are amongst them meeting with us. Lord, we just thank you so much for, for Jesus and what he's done for us, Lord. And we especially just thank you for your scriptures, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you um, that you've chosen to speak to us. And Lord, we thank you for the promise that when your word goes out, it doesn't return empty. And Lord, we just pray that that would be true this morning, Lord, as we do look at the scriptures and as we look at what you have done for us, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, work powerfully in each of our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Uh, do a transformative work in all of us, Lord. Make us more into the image of Jesus. Uh, we just pray this in, in his name. Amen. And so we're about to jump into those two points that I suggested, but before we do, I also just want to talk about uh, the idea of fantasy as a genre and why so many of us love fantasy. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed over the last, you know, five to ten years, there's been a significant increase in the amount of fantasy media that's come out in books, movies, TV shows, all these things. Um, you know, you think about the, the Marvel movies, the MCU, over the last 15 years, there's been... I think up to like 30 movies now that they've released and every time they release another one, it's breaking records and there's all these other, you know, new media and shows, shows like House of the Dragon, The Witcher, um, you know, even the new Rings of Power show. This is the, the Lord of the Rings spin-off show. I guess even the scriptures have the Apocrypha. So uh, there's, a, there's another show that's been produced, but it had even, you know, a billion, it's over a billion dollars, the budget for this show. So there's been a significant increase in our, in our culture's desire for fantasy media. And I wonder why, the, why that is, why this increase. And I think the reason that this is, is that we all have a longing for something beyond our experience. Uh, we all long for something beyond what we've currently experienced in our lives. And I think, you know, when we reflect on our own lives, they're full of anxiety, they're full of suffering and loss and pain. And you look around the world and you see the mess that it's in and it's natural for us to look at it and feel discontent. And it's natural for us to look at it and desire something beyond this. In a world where so often we are, you know, not in control, uh, we desire for a different world, somewhere else where where things seem more in control than they do here. Uh, A world where it feels like things are going to be made right, uh, no matter what goes wrong. How often do we watch one of these movies or read, you know, one of these fantasy books, and even when it gets really bad and it looks so hopeless, there's a part of you deep down that knows it's going to turn out okay. These things are, you know, it's going to be right. The good guys are going to win. It's going to be okay. We have this hope that things are going to get better. And that's so often a hope that we don't have in the reality of the real world. 
You know, we can't always say things are going to get better here. So we, we desire something beyond our experience where that's true. I think there's a negative aspect to this, which is this type of kind of escapism where we sort of abdicate the responsibility that we have in our own lives for dealing with the hard things that come our way. And rather than, you know, doing the hard work of living in the reality that we're in, we try to escape into this, into this meter, into this other world where we don't have to think about those things anymore. We don't have to deal with the hard things uh, because things are okay somewhere else. Um, that's, you know, that's what I did when I was watching these movies when I was skipping school um, to watch these movies when I was a kid. You know, there was something difficult about me going to school, something I didn't want to do, whether it was, you know, some sort of social anxiety or whether it was an assessment or something else difficult that I was looking forward to. There's something about, for whatever reason, at school that I didn't want to have to deal with. And so rather than going and actually dealing with it, I would withhold myself, come home and enter this safe world of Lord of the Rings where it was otherworldly and I could escape and I wouldn't have to worry about all these difficult things that were going on. And I wonder if you've ever, have you ever had that feeling? You know, you're overwhelmed at your current situation. That feeling of anxiety, you know, a feeling of depression, feeling like there's something here that's too hard for me to deal with and I just need to get out. I need to escape somewhere else. You know, how many of you have have had that feeling and then you just find yourself going down a Netflix rabbit hole and you've just been watching things and watching things and binging so you don't have to think about the reality that you're in. I think there's been such an increase in this in so many different ways, particularly around the the fantasy genre in our culture. There's been such an increase in uh, the amount of kind of live action, you know, drama games that we have, like Dungeons and Dragons. I know we've got a lot of Dungeons and Dragons fans here in this room at, at the moment. But this idea that you can become somebody else and for a little while you don't have to deal with the reality of your own life. And I think there's, um, you know, there's, that's the, there's a negative aspect to that, but it's, it's not all bad. I think the, the healthy side to that is that we were designed to look for another world. I think the healthy aspect to that is that when we have these feelings of hopelessness and despair, it is a natural and right and human thing for us to desire something beyond our experience. It's a, it's a right desire for us to be, desire a world where everything will be better, where things are okay, and we don't have to deal with the pain that we're experiencing. But rather than us finding that experience in some sort of media here or something on earth, we are designed to find that in the new creation that Jesus has won for us. So I'm going to open the book of Revelation. It should be on the screen as well. And I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 21. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The new creation, that's what we are looking forward to. That's that desire that we have for something else. Paul talks about this as well in the book of Corinthians. Uh, in chapter 15, it'll be on the screen as well. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. What I think these verses are showing us is that there is that longing that we have for something beyond our experience, something better than our current experience. And that create that longing is for the new creation that's been won by Jesus. 
And in our culture that is obsessed with fantasy and immersing ourselves in something other than our experience, what we can take from this is to when we, when we experience those feelings, when you experience that feeling of overwhelm, that experience of anxiety, to look to the new creation where things will be made right, where you will experience the fulfillment of that desire you have for something better than what you're experiencing now. And so as we jump into Lord of the Rings, let's keep this in mind. Keep that idea uh, of what we are desiring in fantasy and what we desire for something else in the back of your mind as we look at these movies through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of faith. And so, like I said, the first aspect that I wanted to jump into in Lord of the Rings is Tolkien's depiction of evil as presented in these movies. So, in these movies, the, the big bad guy is, uh, is Sauron. He's a dark lord, and you probably recognize the, the image of Sauron as this big red eye that's sitting above this tower in the land of Mordor, which is this really dark black place. It's, it's, you know, it's a horrible place to, to look at. There's no grass. There's no light. There's nothing beautiful. It's just this mountainous, rugged, rocky, dark place. And the story of the Lord of the Rings is about Sauron, who in an attempt to try and gain power over the other people of Middle-earth, he forged the one ring to rule them all in the fires of Mount Doom, this one ring. And into this ring, he poured his cruelty, his malice, and his will to dominate all life. And he starts off as this villain who, you know, takes the form of a man, but after being defeated in battle, he loses his, his bodily form, is separated from the ring, and becomes this big eye at the top of the tower. And the, and the movies, the story of the movies is him trying to get this ring back to regain the power that he had and regain his physical form. Um, but even separated, this ring contains, you know, all of his evil and it contains a mind of its own and it's desperately trying to get back to its master. And the thing about Sauron and the ring in these movies is that um, the evil that they represent is just so pervasive and so all-encompassing that it affects the whole world and everything in it. There is, there is nothing in this world that's unaffected by the power of Sauron and the ring. It begins in, in Mordor, like I said, in this black land, but then it begins to seep out into the rest of the world. And as you watch these movies and as you see it progress, you just notice that you know, everything just gets progressively darker as the, as the power of Sauron spreads. It gets darker and darker and infects the whole world. And one of the funny things about these movies is that apart from in a couple of flashbacks that you get in a couple of visions, you never actually see Sauron on screen. You can't see him, but his influence is everywhere, corrupting everything that it encounters. And this is Tolkien's way of painting an image of what the effects of sin are in our world, I think. Sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, and ever since then, it's been corrupting and infecting everything else. There's nothing in this world that's entirely free of its influence anywhere. You can't always see it, but you see the effects of it everywhere. And just like the, the evil in Lord of the Rings... It doesn't just affect people, but it also affects the very land that we live on. You know, it starts in Mordor as this place of poison and death, and then it spreads to the whole world. In the book of Romans, Paul says in chapter 8, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, for the redemptions, redemption of our bodies. He's saying that even, even our earth is, is experiencing the, the groans and pains of childbirth, that our earth is experiencing the effects of this sin. And not only the earth, but you know, we, we experience this most clearly in our own lives, in our own humanity. Earlier in Romans, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
You know, death spread to all men, sin spread to all men through the sin of one man, and it seeped into every aspect of our lives. Paul's saying that there's nothing in this whole world that hasn't experienced the taint of sin, that its effects are so far-reaching and so damaging that it's left nothing untouched. And I believe that's the image that Tolkien's trying to represent in these books and in the movies with Sauron and the Ring. There is nothing that's left uninfluenced by their power. And you get this kind of on a macro level as you see the world decline, but you also get it on the, the individual level of when you look at the, the actual the ring itself and the effects that it has on the individuals that it comes into contact with. You know, it twists and turns and tempts Frodo who wears it and it, it tells him that everything he has is within himself. It teaches him that if he just puts on the ring, then he'll be able to make everything right. If he just puts it on, then he can do away with the temptation he's been feeling and everything will be better. And on the outside, it doesn't seem too dangerous. The ring doesn't seem too bad when you look at it. It's just a simple ring. But it draws everyone in around it with its beauty and power. And the characters that end up succumbing to it just become these kind of degraded um, versions of themselves where they are damaged and they lose their humanity. And I think the perfect example of this is the character of of Gollum and Smeagol. And you you probably recognize the image of him. You know, he starts, there's this this beautiful montage of the character of Smeagol uh, as he takes the ring and you just watch his decline. He starts as just, you know, Andy Serkis in a wig. And then it turns down into this this disgusting, dirty little mangy creature that doesn't look, you know, any human-like at all, nothing like he did before. You know, he wore the ring for 500 years and he's become this, this degraded creature. The ring proves to be self-destructive for those who wear it. You know, it even goes so far as to, to tempt Gandalf. One of, the, one of the strongest and, you know, most powerful and wise characters is still tempted by the ring. There's no one that's left untouched by this. And this is Tolkien's image of what sin does to us. Something that doesn't seem so bad on the first look. Something that seems like it's okay, could even look beautiful on the outside, has this hidden strength to degrade us, to tear us down, rid us of a humanity. Something that seems innocent can lure us in uh, with the promise of power, the promise of beauty, the promise of something good. And it takes our good desires and leaves us broken. This happens again in the movies. There's so many examples of this. Another one is um, the character of Boromir. He's this man of Gondor and he's portrayed as this you know, strong warrior-like leader Uh, And he believes that he can use the power of the ring to save his people. And what starts is this good desire just for the redemption of his people. He just wants to save them. He just wants to heal them from the the sickness that's taken over their land. Is twisted by the ring and turned into this destructive force that when he comes upon Frodo, rather than trying to ask to take the ring if he can use it, he just attacks him and tries to steal it for himself. What started as this good desire is twisted and made destructive. That's what the ring does in these movies, that's what sin does to us. It takes our desire for good things, twists them, degrades them, and turns them into something evil. There's so many examples of this in our own life. You know, we have a a good and right and healthy desire for sex, but, you know, taken in the the right context, it's a healthy thing. Taken out of context, it can damage us. Our desire for, you know, food, a good gift that we've been given is good, but when we binge into gluttonous, it turns into something evil, something that damages us physically. You know, this is sin, good things twisted. And I wonder, do you ever feel that kind of brokenness and despair? Do you ever feel that, that hopelessness and that loss? That feeling that there is something wrong with your experience, something wrong with this world, maybe even there's something wrong within you that you have a desire for fixing, um, but it just seems like this, this world is too filled with, with, you know, with brokenness, with sin, with anxiety, with loss. 
with depression. I know I feel this. I know sometimes it can feel so oppressive and hopeless. And even with your, with your own sin, you feel that, that temptation to give in. And sometimes it can feel like the temptation to sin is just so overwhelming that there's no way you could possibly beat it. That there's no way you could possibly get out of this, that you just have to give in and say yes. I know I felt that. I wonder if you felt that as well. That's so often the reality of this world. But the world that Tolkien is trying to show us and that these movies try to show us uh, is that, yes, the world is, it is damaged, it is broken, but there is hope as well. You know, there's hope for, for Middle Earth, it's desperate for an answer, and there's hope for our world as well. And that brings me to my second point, which is these representations of Jesus in Lord of the Rings. Um, now, a little bit of a spoiler as well, if you haven't seen these movies. Eventually, the ring does get destroyed. I don't know if you knew that. I know, crazy, I know. They're only 20 years old, the movies, but um, if you figure that out, the ring gets destroyed, so things do end up getting put right. And in these movies, that rightness comes about, I think, through the contribution of these three major characters. And those characters are Gandalf, Frodo, and Aragorn. And I actually think when you look uh, at each of these characters, they actually all represent different aspects of Jesus. And I think they actually represent uh, this kind of threefold office that we see Jesus fulfill in the New Testament of prophet, priest, and king. And I think um, we'll see that as, as we get in. But one important thing to note before I just jump into that is that none of these characters, this is not allegory, these characters, um, none of them are meant to specifically be Jesus. There is no Jesus in Lord of the Rings. Um, but what they are meant to do is show these different representations of what he's like. It's not like, um, you know, the Narnia movies and the books where Aslan, you know, Aslan is Jesus. He is supposed to specifically be the representation of Jesus. I don't think any of these characters are the same as that, but they are intended to represent these different aspects of him. And so we're going to jump into the first one, Gandalf. Now, Gandalf, I think, is this prophetic representation of Jesus. And I'm sure most of us know who Gandalf is, even if you haven't seen the movies. He's the picture of a wizard, you know, big gray beard, pointy hat. Um, he's the one who is perhaps most closely tied to the, to the journey and to the quest to destroy the ring. You know, his whole purpose for being on Middle-earth is to destroy this ring. You know, he's the one with the most knowledge of what's going on. He's the, the one with thousands of years of experience. He actually exists before he comes to Middle-earth and is sent to Middle-earth with the specific purpose of destroying the ring. Similar to, you know, Jesus existed before he came to the earth as a man, but was sent to earth for this specific purpose. And I think Gandalf is this prophetic figure, and how is he prophetic? Well, he, he has knowledge. He can see both kind of present and future events. He speaks wisdom to others about the quest. He's presented as this wise, like, sage-like figure with this powerful and prophetic voice. He's the one who directs the fellowship and tells them the way that they should go. He guides them with a wisdom that only he possesses. And just as the, the prophets spoke wisdom and truth as the voice of God, who gave them the words to say, just as Jesus speaks truth with the voice of God. And I think the, the clearest representation of Gandalf in his um, Jesus-like figure is in that scene that we watched before, in his death. So Gandalf is guiding the, the fellowship through Moria. They get to this point where they have to defeat this Balrog, and he chooses to sacrifice himself and fight this, this monster to get the others to safety. And he sacrifices himself, and as he does, he dies fighting the Balrog. But it's not the end. He comes back to life as Gandalf the White. And he comes back in power, having defeated this monster of death, and he continues to lead the fellowship against Sauron. I think one of the most kind of climactic moments in, in all the movies is at the, the end of the second movie, um, at the Battle of Helm's Deep. It's this 
huge battle and the, the good guys are completely outnumbered. It's 300 versus 10,000. And it looks like they're about to lose and like there's no hope for them. But Gandalf had promised uh, to Aragorn and a couple of the other characters that he would return on the fifth day. And he promised them that when the fifth day arose, they needed to look to the east and they would see him there. And that happens on the fifth day. They look to the east when all hope is lost to the top of the mountain. And there is Gandalf the White sitting atop this white horse. And it's this majestic image of him standing, you know, atop of this with an army at his back with a sword in hand about to come and deliver them from their, from their enemies. And I think that this image is so reminiscent of a picture we get of Jesus in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 19. And as I do, I'd just like to, to work really hard to imagine this image of Jesus. Close your eyes if you have to. Look at what the scriptures are saying about how Jesus is presented in Revelation. So Revelation 19 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses." From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. What a majestic image of Jesus. Is that how you think of Jesus often? Do you ever think of him as this this warrior atop his white horse who has conquered death, who is the victor, who has brought about salvation? Because I know for me, it's so easy to think about, you know, there's so many facets of Jesus and it's, all, it's right for us to think about all of them, but it's so easy to, to only imagine him as he was before the cross. But you remember, he has, he has died, he has been raised to life, he has ascended, he's sitting at the right hand of God and this is the image we get of Jesus when he's going to come in his new creation. It's majestic, it's victorious, he's beaten death. This is your Lord and Saviour. I think this is the image that Tolkien was trying to create with this, this image of Gandalf sitting atop this white horse. But, you know, that image, as beautiful as it is, it just pales in comparison. It's not even worth comparing with the beauty and the image of Jesus as presented in Revelation. That is the Lord that we worship. That's the Lord as he is now ready to return. It's amazing. Now, of course, when you, when you look at these representations, as I said, not, not every single thing matches up. Uh, it's not a, you know, Gandalf is, is not Jesus. He's not the perfect representation of Jesus. When he returns from the dead, you know, not all evil has been done away with. He still has to continue in the battle. So it's not perfect, but I think he is this beautiful image of this, this prophetic figure who's, ve- who's beaten death, who is victorious. And so we'll turn to the, the second character, and now we'll turn to, to Frodo. So, you know, arguably the main character of the, the whole series, the one who sits at the center of the story, the one who bears the burden of the ring himself. And I believe that Frodo represents this priestly aspect of Jesus. So in the, in the Old Testament, the, the priests were appointed by God to make animal sacrifices uh, for the people of Israel. And so, um, you know, they, they make these sacrifices. But it says in the book of Hebrews that, you know, um, that the blood of animals cannot atone for sin. So it's constantly looking forward to this one sacrifice to be made in the future for all time in Jesus. And that's the sacrifice that we know Jesus has made on the cross. And so as we look at Frodo, we see his whole story is one of sacrifice. He himself bears the burden of the ring that no one else can bear. 
You know, in the first movie, they're all debating who is the person that should take the ring. And it looks like it should be, you know, Aragorn or Boromir or Gandalf, one of these strong characters, one of these warriors, one of these leaders. But rather than it being the leader or the obvious person, it's the small, humble, weak little hobbit. The one who bears the burden is, is not the one that the people expected, but the one that is a small little suffering servant. Just as in Jesus' day, many expected him to come as a military leader to defeat the people of Rome, but instead he came as a humble servant. Victory came not through the warrior, but through the broken. And Frodo, he willingly bears this burden. He willingly carries it towards the fire of Mount Tomb. And there are so many parallels between being Frodo and Jesus here. You know, he, he willingly takes on this burden of evil for the world to do away with it once and for all. Uh, as, he, as he approaches this evil and this fire, it becomes heavier and heavier for, heavier and heavier for him. Uh, he even has you know, his friend Sam carry him some of the way as Simon of Cyrene carried the cross of Jesus. Uh, but there is one really key difference between Frodo and Jesus, I think the key difference, and it comes right at the end. Um, as Frodo is, is working his way towards the end of his journey, as he gets there, as he approaches the fires of Mount Doom, you know, it's this, this climactic moment of the whole trilogy. He's getting right to the end. He's walking through the fire, getting to the end. And as he's about to do it, and Sam is there watching, and he's saying, yes, it's about to be finished. Finally, he's going to do away with the ring. Frodo turns around, and rather than throwing it into the fire, he says, no, I have come all this way to do this deed, to do away with the badness of the world. But now that I'm here, I will not do it. The ring is mine. And you just watch this heartbreaking moment as Sam starts to weep of all the work that they've done, this whole journey to get there, fails because he can't do it. And he decides to keep it for himself. He, he gives in to the temptation. And then, obviously, you know, as you, if you've seen the movies, eventually it does get destroyed because Gollum, you know, attacks him. But the key difference here is whereas, whereas Frodo gets to the end of his journey and he says, no, I will not do it, Jesus goes to the end of his journey, and as he gets there, he faces the same despair. He gets there, it gets heavier and heavier, the burden upon him. And as he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, rather than saying, no, I will not do it, he gets there and says, Father, I wish I didn't have to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. I will do it. Jesus goes to the cross, and he does bear the burden of the world. He does away with the sin of the world. He takes our sin upon himself, despite the difficulty, despite the burden. He dies and is raised to life for our life. And so Frodo fails in the end. We see the journey of sacrifice, this bearing of the burden, and the image of Jesus, you know, compared with this in his final moments, the real sacrifice that he made. So Frodo fails, Jesus succeeds. Uh, now for the last character, the last representation of Jesus, I think we find this in Aragon, the king. Now in the Old Testament, God appointed King David to be king over the people of Israel, and he definitely wasn't a perfect king, but he was a good king, and he's, he's constantly referred back to in the scriptures as kind of the model king. These are the, the glory days of Israel, um, David's kingship. And the Lord promises to David that he will establish his kingdom forever. And he says this in 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7. He says, when your days are fulfilled, this is the Lord speaking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But then David dies, and Solomon takes over, uh, his son. And he's a, he's a pretty good king as well, but he's not a perfect king. Uh, and then all his sons and the other kings go after that, and it just gets worse and worse, and Israel just declines and declines. And the northern kingdom is destroyed by Assyria, and the southern kingdom of Judah is taken off into exile to Babylon. And so Israel are left without a king. 
And this promise of a, of a king that will rule forever seems to lie dead. And for about 500 years, Israel is left without a king. And this, this history is so clearly paralleled in, in Lord of the Rings. There's Gondor, which is this nation of kings, uh, but their line breaks and there's no one to fulfill this role of king. There's just this role of the, the stewards who took over, but they weren't kings. And the kingdom of Gondor falls further and further into decline to the point where Sauron's about to defeat them. He's about to defeat them. Um, and they're waiting for this king to return. And then Aragon steps up, the third Jesus figure, the king who was promised to come and make things right. And I think he's presented as this King David-like figure, the one who comes in and as he returns to take up his kingship, he must you know, walk through the paths of the dead. He has to conquer the king of death, something that nobody else could return, nobody else could do. And then he, he comes out and returns as this victorious king and emerges you know, victorious and helps the armies to defeat the armies of Sauron. And so I think Aragon represents Jesus as this kingly figure that was promised, that conquered death and sin and returned to rule the kingdom in a period of kind of unprecedented peace and prosperity. And so as we, we tie all these things together, we just need to ask the question, what does this actually teach us? And what I think Tolkien has used these characters to do is to give us this multifaceted image of Jesus and to give us a, a greater image of who he was. These characters, you know, they contribute significantly to doing away with the evil of the world. That problem that we that talked about, that pervasive, corrupting influence of Sauron in Lord of the Rings and that corrupting, pervasive influence of sin in our world, both desperate for redemption. We see that through the, the characters in Lord of the Rings, but we, we see that so much more clearly in the work of Jesus. And so what do we take from this? Because there's no point just looking at connections between these characters and Jesus if it doesn't do anything for us. And that's the, the purpose of this series that we're doing, to look into the media and the messages that we are receiving and see what we can take out of them, what we can learn about the gospel and what we can learn about Jesus. How do we think biblically about these things in our own lives to grow our relationship with Jesus? And I think... What this does and what Lord of the Rings does is it gives us a perspective on suffering and sin, but it, it gives us even greater perspective on who Jesus is. You know, so often we are trapped by our, our small ways of thinking about Jesus. We only see Him in one aspect. We only see a small part about what He is and what He's done for us, but there is so much more to Him. And I just want us to look at that image of Revelation that we were before, that Jesus is this victorious King, that He has defeated death. He has dealt with the problem of the world. He has, he has finished everything bad, that all good things are going to come. And this idea that that longing that we have within ourselves for something beyond our experience, that longing for something better that we haven't yet experienced is fulfilled in Jesus in the new creation, that He has won the victory, that He is going to return and make all things right. And when you desire something beyond your experience, to remember that it is coming. That is the truth. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then the band's going to come up and worship. So why don't you, why don't you pray? Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you so much for, for Jesus, Lord. Thank you that you, you went to the cross, you died, and you rose to life, Lord, so that we could have new life. Lord, we thank you so much that there is so much more to you, Jesus, than we could ever imagine, that you are more majestic, more powerful, more victorious than we've even imagined, Lord. And we just thank you that you have designed us for another world. Lord, thank you that you have made us to desire something beyond our experience, Lord, and that you prepared that place for us, that we will experience eternity in perfection with you. 
And Lord, as we suffer and as we experience the, the difficult things of this world, we just ask that you would please remind us of these truths, Lord. Remind us that victory has come, that it will come for us. Lord, that you are bigger than we could possibly imagine. Lord, we just thank you for, for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.